0: Well, I hope you're doing well today. And I tell you what, being outside and being online for so many weeks, we are still getting in the hang of things once again and making sure that we have all the mics in the right place. And usually, usually what happens on Sunday morning is Linford has it sitting out there for me all nice, and I walk by and pick it up. But ever since we've moved inside, I forget to pick it up. And so thankful for Linford and, and bringing that to the front. Today we're going to continue in our counterculture series. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're going to be spending the next six weeks, so six more weeks, talking about major cultural issues that we see, um, ones that have, some have existed for a long time, some are brought more to the forefront right now than other times. Um, And we're going to be looking at what scripture tells us about them, right? We've talked a lot, yes, or last week about our worldview, the importance of having a biblical worldview on so many of these topics. This week we're going to be talking about sexuality. It's a little bit more of a PG-13 type sermon. And so we've added another uh, children's worship class today for grades 3 through 6. And so if there are any kids grade 3 through 6 who want to go, um, Miss Judy is standing in the back. She's waving her hand up in the air. Now is the time to go. Um, They're going to make Operation Christmas Child boxes. How exciting is that? Can you believe it's that time already? Can you believe it's that time already? Man, this year, it's gone fast. But today we're going to talk about sexuality. And so as we look at so many different things, next week we're actually going to look at the topic of racism. And then after that we're going to look at the topic of the environment and and everything that you hear about that. And the following week we're going to look at the rise of Marxism. And then the following week we're going to look at persecution. And the week after that we're going to look at hope that we have as believers. And so uh, I'm excited. I hope you're excited. I truly believe that these are important topics that we have to talk about as believers. Because if we don't talk about them then where, are, where is anyone supposed to find any hope? So today we talk about sexuality. And I'll give you a little bit of a, of a quick summary before we start. We're going to talk about what God designed sex for. What is marriage? And then we're going to look at one of the major issues that exists in our society today, and that's the issue of pornography. And we're going to talk about that probably for the majority of our time this morning. It's something that has to be discussed and has to be talked about. And we have to look at it from a Christian worldview. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a God who is so great and who is so wonderful and who is so creative. God, we thank you for the way that you design each and every person. We thank you for your intentionality in design. That, God, you didn't make anything by accident. And, God, you don't make mistakes. Lord, we pray this morning that words would be clear, that truth would be spoken, truth would be heard. And, Lord, you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we did last week in looking at the topic... Oh man, I forgot. What did we talk about last week? Sanctity of life. I was just seeing if anyone actually paid attention last week. <laughs> no, I actually did forget. When we talked about sanctity of life, first we started with a basis of, of the foundation. You have to lay the foundation before you can move farther into the worldview. For example, if we just start talking about pornography, but there's no foundation, then, then what basis do we have for saying something's wrong? It's one of the greatest problems with atheism, right? Is there is no actual foundation. And we can get that atheism and morality, but we can get to that on a different week. That would be a good one for this series, wouldn't it? If we don't have time for that. So the first question is, what did God design sex for? When we talk about sexuality, we look specifically at sex, what did God design sex for? And there's two things, procreation and pleasure. Look at Ephesians 5, 3 through 4. But sexual morality, impurity, covetousness must not even be named among you as proper as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving for what God has created as something that's intended to be beautiful, right? The book of Song of Solomon talks so much about that and the beauty that God created in what sex is. Genesis 1.28, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God designed sex for both procreation and for pleasure. And so when we understand that, setting a little bit of a foundation in the beginning, and then we say, okay, well, God designed this. Well, did, did God have a specific intention for it? Was it a specific purpose? Or is it something that was just created and do whatever you want during your life? Well, no, God God specifically explains where the sexual relation is to occur. And it's only within the confines of marriage. Look with me at 1 Corinthians verse 7, chapter 7 verse 2. But because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman her own husband. Colossians 3, 5. Puts to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We can look at other verses as well, which is very clear. Mark 10, 6 through 8. But from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two become one flesh, so they'll no longer... Two flesh, two but one flesh, and the, the question. So we go through is is okay if God designed this for marriage, right? And it's very clear in Scripture. And there will some who, who will debate that, but it, it's it's an undebatable thing. It's it, it's created for marriage. Then we have to ask another question, right? Are you following with where I'm going today? The question then is, what is marriage, and who decides what marriage is? Is it something that, that that's clearly laid out in the Word of God? Is it flexible? Is there a little wiggle room? Is it something that's actually defined by your government? Is it defined by your local municipality? And the truth is that marriage is clearly defined in the word of God. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So God created him in his own image. In the image of God he created, male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We go back to Mark 10, which I just mentioned a little bit ago. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. God clearly defines what marriage is in Scripture, and it's between one man and one woman. God's original design for marriage was one man and one woman. One woman until the end of your days here on this earth. Today we're not going to get into the conversation of divorce. We're not talking about any of that today. We're talking about what God's original intent was when God made man and woman. It must be clear with a Christian worldview that scripture defines marriage as between one man and one woman. I truly believe God does not recognize anything outside of that relationship as marriage. The government can't define marriage. Your local municipality can't define marriage. God defines marriage. So now we get into one of the biggest conversations. What about homosexuality? That's a huge one in our society today. It's a huge topic. And it has to be discussed. Let me point you to two references, and then I'd like to talk a little bit about it. Leviticus 18.22 You shall not lie with a male as as with a woman. It's abomination. 1 Corinthians 9.11 Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. It's so important to recognize that anything outside of the covenant of one man and one woman falls outside of what God has defined as marriage. That means that homosexuality is a sin. It also means that the boyfriend and girlfriend who are sleeping together are living in sin. It also means the couple that is engaged and thinks that someday they're going to get married and are sexually active are living in sin. And as we look in a little bit, it also means that the person who's engaged in pornography is living in sin. And we talk about homosexuality, and and similar to what I said last week when it comes to the the, the conversation of the sanctity of life, I think the church has failed in so much of its response. For example, when you think of the sanctity of life, think with me of how many people you you see, and, and, and maybe this is more what you see publicly, but how many people will... Abortion is murder! Does that change anyone's heart? Does that truly speak to the soul and the, the heart of the issue? Or is it a venting session for Christians? I remember sitting and talking with someone a number of years ago. And we were sitting outside and I shared, I, I, feel, I feel like the church has missed the issue with this because so many times the response of the church has nothing to do with the gospel message itself. It's not that we're all broken people, and we're all messed up people, and we've we've all fallen away. But here's the deal, is that we're called to live lives that are holy, lives that are set apart. But you know what? We all have different struggles, and we all wrestle with different things. So my question to you today, see there there is no question of what's sin and what's not sin. But my question to you today is do you foster the type of relationships with people where someone who's a Christian could come and share with you that they struggle with same-sex attraction? Is that the kind of culture that we have in Mount Vernon? It should be. It should be, right? But so many times there are certain things that people will not talk about. But it should be. Are you living a life that's willing to truly share the gospel, which is the message that we are all broken people, we all are sinning people, but we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what Paul says, right? Look at all of these things. You have, you have the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the men who practice homosexuality, the thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the revilers, the swindlers. And he says those people will never inherit the kingdom of God. But you used to be them. But now you've been washed. Now you're clean because you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Are we willing to communicate the gospel message? Are we willing to speak truth? Which is, yes, it's wrong. Yes, it's sin. And you need a Savior just as much as I did and just as much as I still do. I think at times we, we think the gospel is just for the lost, but the gospel is a constant reminder to us as believers that we still, I love not having this white thing here anymore. I can walk all the way over here and talk to you guys. It's a reminder that we all are in need of forgiveness. And, and so let me share this with you today. So we must be willing to call sin. Sin. At the same time, we, always, we also must be willing to try and help those around us overcome sin through the power of Jesus Christ. So we speak truth, but we also share the gospel. The truth of God's message. Maybe you've heard the argument, and it's, and it's a very popular argument, well, somebody was born this way. And if they're born this way, then how is it their fault? And hear me today when I when I, when I share this, and I, I want you to hear me. Because if you're someone that, that struggles with same-sex attraction, or you struggle with pornography, or you struggle with other sexual things in your life, I, I want you to hear me that this message is not one that's me pointing the finger at you and condemning you. This is a message of saying we all need accountability. We all need to make sure that we're walking in the spirit and that we're living in truth. It's a message that says, stop living the way that we're living and surrender to Christ. But I'm sure you've heard the argument before, born this way, and, and if someone's born this way, then, then how, can, how, can, how would God ever expect them to do something different? Psalms five says this, Behold, I was brought forth in what? That's a, read that. Behold, I was brought forth in? Iniquity. In sin. Behold, I was brought forth in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now hear me today. The whole born this way argument, I, doesn't matter. That's one of the biggest conversations and Christians will will try and find scientific articles or things to prove one way or another. The scientific part doesn't matter because that misses the whole point of the conversation. We were all born in sin. Yet we're told according to the scripture to deny the flesh and surrender to the spirit. That conversation doesn't matter, right? Because the reality of it is every single Christian, every single person in this room was born in iniquity. So why are we looking up scientific articles and trying to tell people that they're wrong and this is all confused when instead of saying, you know what, I, I'm not sure. But I know that we were all born in sin and that the truth of the gospel tells me that there's a savior who came to die for my sin and the Bible tells me how I'm to live my life. And according to what the Bible says, this is what falls within God's definition of marriage and God's definition of righteousness. So next time you have that conversation remember that we were all born in sin. It doesn't mean that somebody was born with homosexual tendencies or this way or that way. I'm not a scientist. I don't know. But I know what the Word of God says. It says that we're all sinners in need of a Savior and we're supposed to deny the flesh. This leads us into our next conversation and let me let me clarify when it comes to temptation in life God does not judge your temptations because temptation is not sin Jesus was tempted yet Jesus did not sin temptation is not sin but behavior is so now we go into the conversation of pornography look at Matthew 5 27 through 28 you have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What could it harm? It's only me. Nobody else is involved in this. Those are lies that Satan shares to different individuals who wrestle with pornography. Sounds a little bit... Like the question that Satan asked Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did did God really say you can't eat from the fruit of this tree? (laughs) Does the Bible really say that pornography is bad? That it's something that you should be aware of? Something that you should make sure is not involved in your life? Teens and young adults ages 13 to 24 believe that not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. Did you hear me when I said that? Teens and young adults, 13 to 24, believe that not recycling is worse than viewing pornography. Listen, I'm, I'm all for recycling. <laughs> but come on, man. Like, in all seriousness here. <laughs> Some statistics you read and it's just so hard to believe. But yet it speaks of the importance of a proper worldview and a proper education, which we'll get into in another couple weeks. 55% of adults 25 and older believe that pornography is quote-unquote wrong. 55%. So here's what I want to do today. I want to share some statistics. We'll work into a little bit of what Scripture says about it. I think we've covered a lot of what Scripture says about it. But I want to share some statistics with you. First of all, for bring a couple of things. One is to bring awareness to what's going on. Two is to challenge those of you parents, grandparents, to make sure that you are instilling a proper worldview in your children, in your teenagers. If you're avoiding the conversation, it's it's way too late to avoid the conversation we're in a different society today than you can ever imagine let me share some statistics with you they're not going to be on the screen because I wasn't prepared for this wonderful projector that John Scrabback presented today and so we're thankful for that aren't we it makes the words a little bit bigger right for those of you who are squinting you don't have to squint anymore but I don't have the statistics on the screen this is from Recovery Village. 25% of all search engine requests are related to sex. 35% of downloads from the internet are pornographic. 35%. 40 million Americans say they regularly visit porn sites. 70% of age men 18 to 24 visit a porn site at least once per month. The largest consumer of online pornography is men between the ages of 35 and 49. And one third of all internet pornography users are women. So a couple of things that we see really quickly that are removed in different stereotypes when it comes to things like porn- Pornography is that it's only something that men wrestle with. That's totally not true, right? Women also struggle with it. Oftentimes, it's not spoken about. It's similar to that of same sex attraction and that nobody wants to have the conversation to say, listen, I've been struggling with this. I've been wrestling with this and I need you to keep me accountable about this. Why is that? I think sometimes it's because we're afraid to admit that we're sinners, I think sometimes we we elevate certain sins to be higher than others. Now, now hear me when I say this. When I talk about elevating sins, sins have different consequences here on this earth, right? Right, And we're talking about sexuality. If you are unfaithful to your spouse, that's going to have a different earthly consequence. if you told somebody a white lie on the side. Both are sin and both are wrong, but one is going to have a different consequence than the other. And I think that's sometimes the fear of what pornography drives in people is that they're afraid to have that conversation with someone, to truly speak truth to what's going on in their life, to bring into the light what's been hiding in darkness. But the problem is, if you're holding on to that, if you're holding on to that and you don't want to have that conversation, restoration and healing is not going to happen until you have that conversation. But let's just keep going here as we look at different statistics. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. One in five. Gone are the days of having a central computer in the living room that everybody can watch and make sure that everything on air is appropriate. I remember growing up in my home we had one computer and it would sit up in the same room as the TV. And so you only had one person that could use it at one time. It's a different day and age today. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch pornography at least once a month. And looking at students, 51% of male students, 32% of female students viewed pornography before their teenage years. And then you get into the church. 57% of senior or youth pastors have struggled or currently struggle with pornography. Are you planning on waiting to talk to your child about sexuality? Don't. Have the conversation. Help bring a Christian worldview to something that the world tries to distort. Because here, here's the truth, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we go on. But if you're not teaching them, then who is? Right? I'm speaking specifically to parents, grandparents today. If you're not teaching them, who is? Right? My conversation a little awkward. <laughs> I, I'm not ready to have that conversation yet. You know, it's not... And, and, and um, let me speak to dads in particular for a moment. Man up. Man up. Sit down and have a conversation about one of the most destructive things that we see ravaging our society today. The uncomfortableness is not an excuse. Because if you don't help define a biblical worldview for sexuality, then either the school is but let's be honest, the public school system and what they teach about sexuality is horrible. Their friends will. It'll come through experience. Or it could come from someone in the church. But you don't have control over it. And as the parent... You're the gatekeeper of your home. We'll get into that a little bit. I keep getting ahead of myself. One of the biggest arguments regarding things like pornography are, are that, you know what? It's something I do by myself. Nobody's involved in this. I don't hurt anyone with this. Let, let me share this with you today. Sixty-eight percent of all of divorce cases involved one party who met a new lover over the Internet. Sixty-eight percent. involved one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. That does not mean that the divorce happened because of pornography, but that pornography was a part of it. And studies show that regularly accessing pornography causes a desensitization to the idea of being faithful to one's spouse and other things like that. In a recent study, um, or a recent statistic that I found, was that 70% of wives... Of quote-unquote sex addicts would be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Think it doesn't do anything to anyone else? Think again. Now remember when I said this in the beginning, this sermon is not about pointing fingers at anyone, it's not about trying to condemn you, it's not about telling you that you are a horrible person because the truth is we're all horrible people who needed a Savior, right? The point of today's message is to bring a biblical worldview, the concepts that our world deals with, and challenge you, challenge you to make things right in your life with your Lord and Savior. If you remember last week, I mentioned that there's a pandemic that exists outside of the one we continue to hear about on the news. It's been around since Genesis chapter 3, and it's the pandemic of sin. It has ruined people's lives. However, unlike COVID 19, which only affects certain people, sin has plagued the entire world. So, what can I do? I, I, realize, I realize that, that pornography is wrong, but, but Tony, you know, I've, I've been engaged in pornography now for 20 years. Nobody knows. Tony, I can't tell my parents that I've been looking at pornography. What would they do? I can't tell my spouse. That conversation's too hard, it would destroy them. Well, today I'd like to point you to a couple of different things. Challenges that I have for you as we leave today. The first one is this, that you run from sexual temptation sound very Christian, does it? Doesn't sound very American, does it? Don't run from problems. We deal with them. Face on. Well, my worldview tells me in 1 Corinthians 6.18 that we are to flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Run away. Doesn't that sound silly? Does that sound silly to you? Run away. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Joseph ran away, right? He ran away from Potiphar's wife, and David didn't. And look what happened. Think you're a better person than David? Run away. Scripture tells us that when you come to sexual temptation in your life, you flee. That means that if you're sitting at your computer and you start to become tempted with something, you put the mouse down, you walk away, and you distance yourself from that situation. That means if you're looking at your phone and and you start to become tempted with something, you put your phone down, you walk away, you leave the situation. That means that if you are dating and, and you're getting too close with that other person, you leave the situation. You don't stay there and say, well, listen, I'm, I'm strong, man. I read my Bible this morning. I can do this. That's not what the Bible says to do. The Bible says run. Flee. First Peter 1 Peter 1:14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We are called as Christians to live lives that are holy, right? And the word holy points us to being set apart. It's not only talking about a morality, but literally a set apartness from the world. Meaning the way that you live your life should be different than the co-worker that you sit next to who's not a believer. That's why when your friends are all standing around a phone and looking at a picture that you know is inappropriate, you leave. Well, well, you're different. You're weird. No, I'm, I'm told to live a holy life. That means I'm going to be set apart. And I'm not here to condemn you. What you're doing is wrong, and I can't be a part of that. The second one is this. Seek accountability. If you are someone today who struggles in sexual sin... If you've been addicted to pornography, you struggle with same-sex attraction, or other things like that, you need to find a trusted brother or sister who can keep you accountable. Now, I'm not talking about someone who is just going to let you live the way that you wanna live and never have any intervention in your life and not speak truth to you. It's not worth it with that person. I'm talking about someone that you can sit down with and they can say, how's it going? What are you struggling with? We need to have a deeper conversation. If you're someone who has struggled with this and you need someone to talk to, I'm happy to talk with you. I know our elders would be as well. Seek accountability. If we're not someone who can help, we can gladly point you to someone who can. Because there are times, believe it or not, when professional counseling is a really good thing. I am all for professional counseling Christian counseling the next one is seek restoration I'll tell you this today and I hope you believe it and I know many people who struggle in sexual sin struggle to accept this but there's forgiveness at the cross of Jesus Christ for sexual sin too there's forgiveness at the foot of the cross for addictions to pornography and other things Seek restoration. First with your Lord and Savior. And then with those you've wronged. And this is important in mentioning in this. Because I I think at times, I don't actually have this in my notes, but I'm going to share this with you today. Satan wants you to live in the past. That's his desire for your life. To live a life that's destroyed because of your past mistakes and the past things that you've wrestled with. That's not God's desire for your life. How many times does God tell us to live today and to trust Him today and to focus on today? Don't worry about tomorrow. Forget the things of old. The sins that are forgiven at the cross are just that, they are forgiven. And I encourage you, if you wrestle with that today, to realize that there's forgiveness and that God wants you to live in your forgiveness. And the last one is this, and then I'm going to speak specifically today to parents, to grandparents, to those of you who are one day hoping to have children, you are the gatekeepers of your home. Do you know what I mean when I say gatekeeper? So I grew up in Bolivia, and we had uh, walls all the way around our house, and we would close our gate every night. We would close all the time. We kept everything locked. But, but especially at night, you close the gate. Why do you close the gate? To not let things that you don't want to come in, right? and listen we love people we didn't have a gate up because we didn't want to love people we had a gate up because in Bolivia there's high rates of crime I mean growing up in Bolivia we had someone throw poison over our wall and kill our dog and steal our motorcycles even with a gate up it's to provide protection for those who are not able to protect themselves Parents, you are the gatekeeper of your home. Whatever comes in the door of that home, you choose whether or not you're going to allow it to enter. Now, now realize today, and, and I share this with you, the first job of a parent is to disciple their children. That's the first responsibility. You are also in charge of making sure that your home is a safe place. A place that your children are protected from the evil things of this world. Because there's no question that Hollywood's goal is to corrupt the minds of your kids. I mean, how many shows are on Netflix now which involve sexuality and teenagers? I mean, how many people, the whole cancel Netflix movement that just happened, if you don't know about it, read about it. Read about it. Inform yourself about it. Don't live don't live blinded in the darkness. Open your eyes to what's actually going on in the world. It's horrendous. And as Christians, we need to live with open eyes. Expose what's in the dark. But you're the gatekeeper. And like I said in the beginning, gone are the days when there just used to be a computer that sat in the middle of a the room. There was no such thing as laptop, smartphone. What in the world's that? Everybody had this old little flip phone that you, that you flip up, you remember? And the coolest thing about the old flip phones was they had a flashlight. And if you had a flashlight on your cell phone, you were pretty cool. And I remember, I remember when I, and this is a little sidetracked, but I remember when I had a cell phone, I had a flashlight, I thought I was just the coolest thing in the world. I had a flashlight on my phone. It wasn't very bright, (laughs) but it worked. But you are the gatekeeper of your home. That includes what comes in and out on the devices of your children. You decide what comes in and out. And hear me when I say this, is that as parents, that as grandparents, we need to make sure that we've set everything up to do the best that we possibly can to keep all of that garbage out there. Yes, you train. Yes, you disciple. Yes, you minister to. Yes, you speak truth to. But realize that there are kids who have had all of that, yet can easily fall into sexual temptation and pornography. The ages at which kids are exposed to pornography is mind-boggling, but it is what it is. There are a couple of different programs that exist, and I, and I want to bring this to your, to just to your attention today. Um, one called Covenant Eyes. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's about $16 a month. And you sign up for it, and you put it on your internet, and you can actually put it on the mobile devices and everything that goes on, and it blocks all of that garbage from being allowed to come through. Why would we do something like that? I trust my kids. Well, good. I'm glad you trust your kids. I'm sure your kids are great. But it's so easy. And statistics show that it's so easy for children to fall in Not only for kids. Maybe you're a couple. And one of you really struggles. And something like this would be a great help. See, it's simple. There are are certain things that are so simple that believers can do to push the temptation away. Satan We are told to flee from sexual temptation, which comes from Satan, right? The Lord does not tempt. That means that we should block things out which cause temptation. Not allow them to come. And so there are certain things, covenant eyes is one. There's another one called Net Nanny. Net Nanny also has a charge. And it blocks things from certain apps which are inappropriate. Because did you know that in a lot of social media apps, there's a lot of horrific pictures too? Live with your eyes open. And I pray as parents you accept the responsibility as gatekeeper of your home. See what comes through including on the internet is on the gatekeeper. And we must live lives that are wise. Lives that are open and truthful and seeking God and His holiness. Listen I hope today that you your eyes were opened a little bit that you if it's something that you've struggled with that, that you realize the sin that exists but also that you realize that you're not alone statistics show that a large number of people even within our own congregation would struggle with pornography you're not alone and the only way to find reconciliation is to bring what's in the dark out to the light I challenge you with that today knowing that God loves you despite your struggles That he's here for you. And that there's forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. A God who is holy. A God who is just. A God who is pure. At times it feels like there isn't much that's pure in the world today anymore. God, we ask that you would be glorified in the way that we live our lives Father that if there's a brother or sister today who's struggling with that but Lord that they would find someone they could confide in Lord if, if there's a teenager here this morning they can talk to one of their youth leaders Lord and just and just bring what's in the darkness out to the light they can find accountability they can find reconciliation they can find wholeness because you don't desire for us to live in shame you don't desire for us to, to live in sin your desire for us is to live in open and honest relationship with you Because nothing is hidden from the eyes of the Lord. Thank you God for your great love. In Jesus name. Amen.